25, verse 1 to 11. So Genesis 23, uh, the death of Sarah. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abram went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abram rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I'm a foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abram, Sir, listen to us. You're a mighty price among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abram rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting amongst these people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of this city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so that I can bury my dead there. Ephron asked Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah, near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abram buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abram by the Hittites as a burial site. And now we flick to chapter 25, verses 1 to 11. Abram had taken another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Yokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak and Shua. Yokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Letushites, and the Leamites. I forgot how to say that, Carl. Leamites. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephah, Hanok, Abida, and Eldar. All these were descendants of Keturah. Abram left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east, to the land of the east. Abram lived 175 years. Then Abram breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of, full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons uh, Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite the field Abram had bought from the Hittites. There Abram was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abram's death, God blessed his son Isaac 
who then lived near Beer Lahai Roy. So far, thank you. Well, here's my hot tip for the day. Uh, when reading the Old Testament uh, and you come across a name that you can't pronounce, always pronounce the vowels separately. So, uh, Leumites, there you go, and Ishmael, and Be'ilaha Ro'i. So if you want to sound like, you're, like a gun, just uh, pronounce every vowel individually. You can go home and practice that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you again that we have the time to stop, to be still, to think, to listen, to hear. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us by your spirit, that you would encourage us, rebuke us and train us for righteousness, for every good work by the Bible. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I was in town yesterday uh, with, oh, sorry, on Friday with uh, Ben and a guy, Jim, and we happened to bump into a friend of Ben's and we were talking for a little while uh, and this chap was going in uh, for an operation and Jim said, uh, as we were talking, Jim said to him, no one makes it out of this world alive. That's good to think about. And it's true, isn't it? No one makes it out of this world alive. We all face death. We face our own death. We face the death of others. Death can come quickly and unexpectedly. I think of all the people who have died, who who we've buried uh, over the four years that I've been at this church, all of them died, I think, in some sense, unexpectedly. That is, not necessarily that they were not old or so on, but that is, if you had have asked anyone a couple of months beforehand, a couple of months before we were standing at the graveside, I think most, if you had have said to them, will this person still be alive with us in two months' time, most people would have said, yeah, they'll still be here. But over a couple of months, a couple of weeks, their health deteriorated uh, and we were standing in a cemetery. I think of how little time we had early this year to prepare for the death of our brother Reg. And of course it can happen even more quickly than that, can't it? An accident, an undiagnosed heart condition. I remember when I was living in Canberra there was a boy at the school, one of the Christian schools there, who was 10 or 11 years old and one afternoon he was playing cricket in the nets with his friends and he collapsed, he didn't get hit, nothing happened, he just collapsed dead on the ground. Death can come quickly and unexpectedly, it can come slowly, a three-year battle with cancer, the slow breakdown of the body as we age, more trips to the hospital, more interventions, more drugs, more procedures. We're all dying and everyone around us is dying No one makes it out of this world alive. 
Well, as we've gone through the book of Genesis, that first book in the Bible, we've seen why that is. We saw that God created a good world, not a bad world, but a good world. Uh, He created a world free from death and sorrow. He created us to be people with great dignity, people to know and love him. But we've also seen that as human beings, we tried to boot God out of the world that he made. We've tried to do things our own way. And that desire has plunged our world into chaos and death. God has a plan to put the world right, a plan that he has been enacting since that very moment that the world was plunged into chaos. He has a plan to rescue people, uh, to bring them back to him uh, and to bring back those who trust in him and love him. So God has a plan, but how do we live in the meantime? How do we live waiting for the restoration that God has promised. Well, Genesis 23 gives us a glimpse uh, of how we live in the meantime. At the start of the chapter, we're told that Abraham's wife, Sarah, died. She was 127. She'd lived a good long life, but Abraham's still pretty cut up about it because we're told in verse 2 that he goes to mourn and to weep over her. We live in a world that that thinks that the longer a life is, the less sad it is that a person dies. The more acceptable it is for someone to die uh, in old age. But death is wrong no matter how old somebody is. Death is just as painful, just as, as, as sad, just as awful at 127 as it is at 27. Well, after mourning for Sarah, Abraham sets out to find a burial plot and he goes to the Hittites, the local people who lived in the area, who owned uh, the land where Abraham was, and he asks them for a piece of land where he can bury his wife. The Hittites, it seemed, had great respect for Abraham because they call him literally a prince of God. They offered Abraham to bury Sarah in one of their own tombs, even in one of their very best tombs. But Abraham says no. He says, no, I don't want to bury my wife in one of your tombs. I want to bury her in a cave in, the, in a field in this place called Machpelah. We don't know much about Machpelah. About the only thing that we know about it was, is that it was in the land of Canaan. It was in the land that God had promised to give to Abraham. We read at the end of the chapter in verse 23, Afterward, Abraham buried his wife, Sarah, in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. God had promised Abraham that he would give Abraham and his descendants the land of Canaan. God had sworn that on oath, that he would do it, but now Sarah was dead. And in a little while, Abraham himself will be dead. And neither of them seem to have gained possession of the very thing that God had said that they would get. Sarah's death and Abraham's death puts God's promise in doubt. Is God really going to do this? But Abraham buys this plot of land in the place that God had promised him. And in doing that, he kind of plants a flag in the ground and says, I believe that God is going to do what he has promised. I don't have it yet, 
but we're going to get it. We saw last week how Abraham reasoned that God as the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, that if God could create us and sustain us, then he must be able to raise us to life again as well. And the same trust in the resurrection power of God which underpinned Abraham's faith when it came to Isaac underpins his hope when it comes to his dead wife. In The Princess Bride, someone says, I can't remember who it is anymore, Wesley, Wesley, sorry. Not even death can stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a little while. And the same is true here. Not even death can stop the promises of God. All it can do is delay it. Put it on hold. Make us wait. Listen to what John Calvin wrote about this chapter. He says, Abraham did not desire to have a foot of earth whereon to fix his tent. That is, as he lived, he didn't desire to have any, any place in the land while he lived. He only took care about his grave. It only mattered in death. And he especially wished to have his own domestic tomb in that land which had been promised him for an inheritance for the purpose of bearing testimony that the promise of God was not extinguished either by his own death or by that of his family. For while they themselves were silent and speechless, the tomb cried aloud that death formed no obstacle to their entering on the possession of it. Their tomb was a witness that God would do what he had promised. What we say about death, what we say in death, reveals a lot about what we believe. And what we say in death and about death are great signposts of the gospel. I've been to two funerals uh, this past year of people who didn't, Uh, know and trust Jesus what did people say at those funerals they said well they had a good life they fought for this cause for that cause they did great things we try to hold on to people by telling stories about them by leaving their photos up on the wall some people leave the Bedrooms of their children, untouched for decades. I heard of one lady whose husband died suddenly. She'd laid his clothes out on one of the chairs in the lounge room. And you would go to visit and there was his clothes in his chair. But it's like sand slipping through fingers. It's like trying to grasp hold of water. Malcolm Muggridge, the uh, journalist, wrote that we represent a person's life in every detail. The only thing that's missing is the person themselves. Contrast that with someone like Reg who passed away earlier this year and who scrawled uh, on his bedside table as he went to be with the Lord. Was it, let everything that have breath praise the Lord? I often say to people, I'd rather do a funeral than a wedding. 
which is sort of true. But at a funeral, it's always so clear what it is that we believe, isn't it? That God raises the dead. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh will I see him. I myself will see him. I and not another. Is that an empty hope? No, like Abraham, we know by simple logic, God created the world, and if God created the world, he can raise people to life again. And as though that wasn't enough, we've seen Jesus rise from the dead. My neighbour said to me yesterday, no one's ever come back to tell us what's on the other side, have they? And I said, yes, Jesus has come back. And he's told us exactly what's on the other side. Can death stop the promise? No, all it can do is delay it for a while. And even then, that delay, that wait, is all in God's perfect timing. Well, death appears to put the promise of God in jeopardy, but Abraham buries, uh, buys this burial plot in the land to demonstrate his faith. I do believe in what God uh, has promised. But why then, if Abraham believes that God will give him this land as a gift, why then does he refuse to receive the land as a gift? The Hittites, Ephron, promises to you know, offer to give, give him the land as a gift, but he says, no, I'm going to pay for it. The second half of chapter 23 is, on the surface of things, really quite odd. Abraham asks if Ephron will sell him the land, but in verse 11, Ephron says, No, my lord, he said, listen to me, I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. But Abraham says in verse 12, Listen to me, if you will, I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Uh, Ephron basically goes on to say, look, it's only 400 shekels. Uh, I don't care about that kind of money. Take the land. 400 shekels was, I think, a lot of money. Some people take Ephron to be disingenuous. That is, he didn't really want to give away the land, so he kind of casually threw in the price. Uh, no, 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 you can have it for free. It's only 400 shekels. Uh, you, know, you don't have to pay that, the 400 shekels that the land is worth. Don't worry about it between friends. Maybe that's true, but, but I'm not sure. Because Abraham had already said that he wanted to pay for it. And what's more, he'd said that he wanted to pay the full price. He doesn't want this land to be a gift So what's going on? Well, the New Testament, I think, helps us to get at what's going on a bit more clearly. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 7. So Acts uh, comes after all the Gospels in the New Testament, after, uh, after the Gospel of John. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen 
is retelling the story of uh, Abraham. And he says there in verse 2, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. Stephen says that Abraham didn't receive even a foot of ground. Not even a square, not even a square to spare, as they say in Seifold. He didn't get anything. But we just read Genesis chapter 23 and Abraham did get something. Notice carefully, though, what Stephen says. He doesn't actually say Abraham received none of the land. What he says is God gave him none of the inheritance. You don't pay for an inheritance, do you? Unless you're in England and there's death duties. But generally speaking, you don't pay for an inheritance, it's a gift. The land that Abraham bought was not his inheritance. It was not what God promised. Why does Abraham want it to be a gift? Because he doesn't want anyone to think that this field in which he is burying his wife, he doesn't want anyone to think that's the promise. Was Abraham's great hope for the future that he would lie dead in a tomb for all eternity in the land that God had promised him? Was that his great hope? When uh, Captain Arthur Philip, uh, the head of the first fleet, the first governor of New South Wales, when he returned to England, an Aboriginal man, Yerimawana, went back with him. And uh, Yerimawana died in England. And over the years since then, there's been quite a, quite a number of Uh, attempts to bring his bones back to Australia so that his bones could lie in his native country. And people feel very deeply about the idea that, uh, that someone's remains should lie uh, in their homeland. We do it to still today. When a soldier dies, we bring them back. Until recently, when a soldier died on the battlefield, they would be left there. But since the Vietnam War... Uh, Australians have brought their soldiers, their fallen soldiers, back uh, at great expense uh, to bring them back to be laid to rest here. Well, perhaps that's your great hope for eternity, to lie in a tomb in your homeland, uh, to lie in a tomb close to family. And won't that be special? how special it is uh, to spend eternity rotting in the ground close to relatives uh, in the land where you were born. It's not a great hope, is it? It's an empty hope. It's a false hope. Was that Abraham's great hope to lie dead in eternity in the land that God had promised? No. The burial plot was not the promise. That's why he paid for it. This is not the promise. That's what he was saying. 
It wasn't God's gift. Perhaps Abraham hoped that he would live in our memories and that his tomb would be a great memorial to a great life and to a great man. So that every time people would walk past the tomb, they would think to themselves, wasn't Abraham a great guy? Don't we owe a lot to our father Abraham? Was Abraham's tomb to be kind of Washington Monument that everyone would look at and say, well, our country owes him a great deal? Or like the pyramids, where we look at the, the pyramids and say, well, we remember Pharaoh, whoever it was. Maybe that's your hope, to live on in people's memories. But it won't work. They'll forget. And if you don't believe me, here's a challenge. At the end of the service, the first thing that you can do is spend five minutes telling the person next to you all about your great-grandfather. And once you've told them all about your great-grandfather, spend five minutes telling them all about Pharaoh Khufu who of course you know to be the pharaoh who is buried in the largest of the pyramids uh, at Giza. Was Abraham's great hope to live on in people's memories? No. The burial plot was not the promise. And Abraham wanted everyone to know that. That's why he paid for it. Perhaps Abraham hoped that he would inherit the land through his children, that he would live on through them. And maybe that's your hope, to live on through your children. To make them your way of living on into eternity. Was that Abraham's hope? No. Abraham believed that he himself would possess the land. Not just his children. That's why he and his wife were buried there. But they bought the land because they knew, they knew that their tomb was not the promise. Death appears to put the promise of God in jeopardy, but Abraham believed that God would do everything he had promised, even if that meant raising people from the dead. So the story of Abraham and Sarah's death teaches us how to face death, how to think about death, but it also says something about life, how to face life and how to deal with life. In chapter 23, Sarah dies. In chapter 25, Abraham dies. Neither of them having received what was promised. The paltry burial plot, the cave in Machpelah, is all that Abraham ever owned in the promised land. And even that, as we've seen, wasn't his inheritance from God. Abraham never received what was promised. The writer of Hebrews takes that up, uh, that theme up in Hebrews chapter 11. Turn with me uh, to that chapter, to Hebrews 11. Hebrews is a bit further on from Acts and a few books before Revelation. To Hebrews 11 verse 13. where it says, All these people were living, still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity 
to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Some people promise that if you become a Christian, you will have a fantastic life. You'll be successful and beautiful. You'll be wealthy and endlessly happy. That's not what the Bible promises. That's not what the writer of Hebrews promises. And it's not what Jesus promises. Jesus promises a cross now. Jesus promises opposition now. Betrayal now. Suffering now. But life in the world to come. And that view is not just in the church. Again, my neighbour told me yesterday about a friend of theirs who died last year from cancer. Their friend prayed to God to help them. Even my unbelieving neighbour prayed that God would help this person dying from cancer. But as my neighbour said, God did nothing. Nothing that is except leave the glory of heaven, enter our world, die on a cross, suffer our punishment, rise from the dead according to the scriptures, and bring resurrection and life for all who trust in him. What gospel had they heard, I wondered, that promised them life in this world rather than in the world to come? Jesus never promises that. The Bible never promises that. Paul calls Abraham an heir of the world to come. That was his inheritance. Not a burial plot. Not the best piece of land on the foreshore of Sydney Harbour, an heir of the world to come, a better country. And if you know Jesus and if you trust Jesus, that's your inheritance too. Not life now, yes, life in Christ now, yes, but not your best life now, life in the world to come. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for Abraham's faith. Thank you for his witness and testimony that his tomb and the tomb of his wife, Sarah, thank you for the testimony that that bears to us. That even though they died not having received what was promised, they died by faith. They died as heirs of the world to come. They died not having received what was promised so that they only together with us would be made perfect. 
Father, we pray that having heard your promises in Christ Jesus, promises of forgiveness, life and resurrection, of adoption into your family, of eternity with you. Father, we ask that having heard your promises, that each one of us would believe as well. And Lord, we pray too for those many outside uh, the Christian faith at present. Lord, we ask that you might call many too to believe in these same very great and precious promises as well. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.